0: And we are live today with living the guide life. It was a great opener for fishing up here in Minnesota. Um, great weekend, beautiful outside. Can't really complain about anything other than that. Um, got into some smallmouths with a buddy of mine. Uh, Kobe was on some earlier was on an earlier podcast, and uh, super fun to get out with him. I haven't seen him in a while, and uh, got to go catch some big smallmouths, So that was fun, and then. Um, been doing some turkey on a little bit um we've had a few missed shots things happen i guess um but we're still still trying to get after them um see if we can come back from that get some revenge so working on that right now can't complain um so i mean it's going good everything's everything's going good can't complain and uh we are brought to you by chasing foul outfitters go uh, check us out be uh be a fun year gonna really dig into some waterfall hunting and uh been learning so much along the way on more tacks we can uh be using throughout the field and uh this this episode is a really good one because it really digs into our waterfall hunting up here in minnesota so for the minnesota natives up here this is going to be a really fun one we talk about um goose populations really everywhere and uh, like patterns and all that kind of different stuff that you can kind of play along with um, throughout the season. So it's one of the fun things we'll be talking about today, but we're also brought to you by Bourbon Media. going to give them a few seconds here, so uh, enjoy.
1: If you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry, we get it. The words digital marketing can be intimidating. You're a grunt work, sweat it out, bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business. We at Bourbon Media can help you push it even further. We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression.
0: And that wraps things up for them. Um, Super fun to get to... meet up with those guys, work together, partner on something that we think is gonna be really cool to really get the outdoor industry moving and make it uh, what it should be. And so, got some fun things coming along with that. Doing some webs, doing a website design right now, very excited about that. And it'll be really cool for you guys to be able to dig into that and find everything you need on uh, that website. So, can't wait to drop that. Um, very excited and it'll be really cool but today we have nick johnson on uh, minnesota native and bird nerd to say the least Um, dude is the real deal really digs into some really deep topics on you know goose calling and every aspect of it um he's tried some really neat things on different tactics and kind of dig into some different hunting scenarios that he's ran to ran into along the way in his career and what it's looked like um from his guiding aspect as well as um just the extensive research that he's done just on waterfowl like it's really cool to be able to hear his story and kind of dig into that so super excited for you guys i think this will be a really good one to listen to and uh learn from so enjoy
2: <laughs> that's why you said yeah i would know yeah leave meeting or continue i'm leaving see you later (laughs) thanks for the option holy fuck i thought i had to do this interview (laughs) (laughs) saved by the zoom dude exactly and uh
0: (laughs) we are live with living the guide life and uh we have bird nerd and goose instructor Colin instructor nick johnson how are you
2: somehow yeah somehow yeah i fell into that life (laughs) uh doing good today uh, doing good. It's kind of the off-season, and uh, thank God for that. I, I think it's great we get an off-season. It seems like fishermen don't, but this is yeah a good time to kick back, relax, chill out, talk about birds, do some calling contests. Yeah, no kidding. When do calling contests? Are you doing any calling contests? Oh, all the time. Uh, well, right now, all the sanctioned events through Stuttgart and the duck calling side of things, um, since they had the COVID uh the covid delay last year they said if you were qualified for this for last year you could roll that qualification into next year so for the world duck calling championships you have to qualify every single year and you do that through through a sanctioned duck calling contest which go all is governed by the stuttgart chamber of commerce in arkansas so every year you got to qualify so usually Once you've qualified, you're not competing to qualify anymore. So people kind of get chiseled off the list as they go. And then they emailed me and they're like, hey, do you want to go back into that ringer or do you want to roll over your qualification from last year? That's kind of like a pretty easy choice. I mean, as much as I love the (laughs) grindstone and like I appreciate how the experiences I get and the knowledge I gain, it's like, oh. Yeah, we'll slide through into the world championships. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I can't turn that down. I guess. I wonder how many people did though. Yeah. And then, uh, so typically, calling contests start while hunting seasons are still going on, and and really continue through the year with increased intensity and frequency. Like February is usually the big kickoff after World Duck Calling Championship, which is held the uh, week after Thanksgiving or the Friday after Thanksgiving in Stuttgart, Arkansas on the, on the main street stage. Mm. And so February kind of kicks it off. And it used to be kind of just a cycle of contests that would happen pretty much monthly all the way until the next year. And oh. so that's what's for the duck caller side of things. Goose callers have like no structure at all. So they, it's a, it's a free for all uh, open contest for anybody who wants to get in. There's no central governing body like there is for duck calling. And so those guys, uh, they they fly by their own rules pretty much. And I've always been more on the duck call contest on the the contest side of stuff. But which is, I guess, a good place to start. Like you wanted to get a little backstory. Like my backstory originates with contest calling. Okay. And that was like around 99, 2000. I was born in 87. So I was like coming around as a kid. And there used to be a, an organization called the, the Minnesota Duck and Goose Callers Association. And I think I saw about some in like an outdoor news. Me and my dad went over to a meeting and they, they're they the ones who held all the contests and did the sanctioning stuff with Arkansas. And uh, if you've ever been to a calling contest and started poking around, like you find like a kind of a, uh, uh, a culture that, that pulls you in, you know, it we only exist because there's other people who want to do it. Yeah. So as soon as we find some other person who's willing to torture themselves and spend thousands of dollars to travel the country to see the same clowns on the same types of stage and making the same mistakes year after year, it's like, yeah, you're one of us now. Yeah. So that's kind of who brought me in. And so I've been active on the calling scene since uh, I was 13 in the year 2000 in Minnesota. And actually, I did 2000 Junior World Duck as well in Arkansas. Oh, wow. So from there, I did guiding. I did a lot of. Uh, uh, I worked with Phil Schmidt. I was airbrushing goose decoys somewhere in here, like in when I was seventeen. Yeah. Because I saw, like a lot of us did. We, I saw Full Moon Fever, a VHS hmm. that just changed everything, kind of deal. And I mean, I met Phil. We started guiding. Uh, he started guiding. I was his employee, and uh, really taught me a shitload about guiding and life and uh, and perspective on all sorts of shit and like especially like how to hunt Canada geese, which is really what he was an expert on. Yeah. And then that kind of led into uh a, a life of traveling guiding. Uh because after I got some I got into some felony drug charges and then mm. sit in the timeout box for a few years. Yeah. Tried to shoot shot a few geese with a bow. That was enter- entertaining a little bit. Yeah. And then uh when I jumped back in, I was a, uh, like a, a subcontractor. So I put myself out. there as like somebody who got, who, who would do a fill in. I could do short notice fill ins, got calling contest experience. If somebody got fired, somebody got sick, somebody had to go home. Like you could call me and I could be there for a four day group or something, you know? Ah. And that allowed me to do a lot of traveling state to state and, and hunting with a lot of different operations and meeting a lot of great people. And uh, after the felony stuff kind of wore off too, there was like a huge sense of like trying to give back and like do everything I could to uh, like cherish, you know, the experience yeah. of not being a convicted felon. Yeah. So I did, started getting into the youth stuff, the volunteering, the calling seminars, giving out hundreds and hundreds of calls and uh, just to kids and like just being like, thank you for letting me have an awesome life. Uh, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah so and that's yeah i guess uh, an overview for you
0: yeah oh absolutely.
2: so where do you want to dive in first dude i want to <laughs> dive into really
0: anything right now how's the
2: how's the goose hatch up where you're at just starting yeah it's just starting right now uh there's a few little f- uh, fuzz balls it looks like there's a lot of abundance it looks like there's a lot of abundance around here right now Um, and there's, uh, dude, I found a pond in Fridley just off Central Avenue yesterday that had, uh, probably like 500 mallards in it. Oh, it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like you see like little, you see like pairs and little groups of five and little rape squads of eight, Yeah, but you don't see 300 ducks in like one location. No. So it was pretty cool. Um, that's Spring Lake over in Fridley and. Huh. I was over there for just a couple days just trying to figure out why the hell they were there. Yeah, Lots of abundance around this year, though. I think it'll be a good hatch.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, down down in Mankato, there's quite a few rolling around now. Is there? Even, yeah, seen them quite a bit. And then now. Both ducks now, and geese? Mainly geese. I haven't seen many ducks. No? I mean, there's been a few here and there, but I haven't really been looking for ducks. Just mainly the geese that are hanging up next to the road.
2: Yeah. Mallards are such shitty nesters too. They'll have a brood yeah. anywhere from like February to July or September.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, but I mean, up in I'm up in Brainerd right now, but I mean, there. Oh,
2: really? That's a cool place to be. Yeah, up here. It they actually gets some really huge goose abundance during the molt uh, yeah. up there. Have you ever been up there in early June? Uh
0: yeah. We're usually I usually come up here and work a few like weeks with my grandpa. Um, mm-hmm before I do like my actual job in the summer. And so up here right now doing some work and then looking around for geese, doing some fishing, trying to shoot a turkey.
2: So you're from there going to school in Mankato and that's where the business is originated out of. So I'm
0: originally from Lakeville. Okay. And then, so yeah, then I ran down Mankato last fall. um, Started going to school. Brainerd fits
2: in from a family connection?
0: Yeah. And then my grandparents live up in Brainerd. Have you done much hunting up there?
2: Uh, we've done
0: some duck hunting, like diver hunting. We have uh, my grandpa's buddy has a pretty sweet private rice pond, and nice. so like the divers get pretty crazy. Um,
2: but have I mean, you got I'm, into that world.
0: I'm on the river,
2: it's actually I've pretty heard good. that 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 like I've heard that rice is just can be insane, like. But it can be difficult to hunt. You need a good retriever or you're going to lose birds. Yeah. And, uh, like, like hit it at the right time. And there's, like, literally tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of birds in abundance.
0: Oh, yeah. No, if you hit it, like, it's it's unbelievable. And, I mean, the river up here, there's, like, quite a few, like, back backwater spots that have just a shit ton of rice. Mm-hmm. And, like, they get really, really good. But you also have to have, like a mud motor to get back to some of like the deeper areas of it where it gets like really good.
2: Yeah. I'm so unfamiliar with that stuff too. And it's cool because Minnesota is such a diverse state. Like, like yeah. really got a lot of like everywhere from prairie pothole hunting to urban hunting, to rice, to woods, to great lakes. Yeah. So, uh, but with that many types of like terrain across Minnesota too, you get a lot of different flyways that are kind of, all intersecting, and I know up there in Brainerd, you get some geese that we don't get down in the cities, and or even in Mankato or Lakeville. Yeah, it's some neck collars and stuff. You know, stuff that'll cruise through there that you wouldn't see even just a couple hundred miles south.
0: Yeah, oh, that's the yeah. way it is. No, yeah, yeah. I noticed you do a lot of like searching on bands and all that kind of stuff on different geese all across the country.
2: What kind yeah. of got you into that? Okay, so when I was fourteen. My dad was on the board of the Minnesota Waterfall Association. Okay. And he's told me, uh, hey, I can get you a list of people that have signed up for the Goose Food Plot program that the Minnesota Waterfall Association is sponsoring. Do you mm-hmm. think you could do anything with that? And I was like, well, yeah. Like, I don't know. I'll call them and ask yeah. them if there's any peace on their land. Yeah. So I, I, like, literally had, like, a list, like, 150 people. And I started just checking them off. And I had, like, questions I'd ask. And, like, I heard these farmers, I'd call them up. There's, like, at least a dozen or two of them that said, like, uh, now, uh, ma'am, are you from the Minnesota Waterfall Association? Because I was so young, like, they thought I was a chick talking, like, and, like, just checking on the food plot. They thought I worked for that, like, the MWA. And I was like, no, no, I'm just a kid. And they're like, yeah. what? I'm like, oh, you're not a woman? Like, no. And But I can still hunt there this weekend, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess. There's 85 geese there this morning. Like, holy fuck. Like, how like that just sealed right there. Like information is, is uh, like, information is the most valuable asset you, that we can have in this game and up to date information. I mean, like when Onyx maps came out, I was probably the first subscriber to it, you know, like yeah. whatever, whatever it took to get a leg up on somebody else, like, you know, to, I, I guess not to put it in such competitive terms, but I'm just curious, like yeah, oh, yeah. how can I possibly put myself in a position to to know what these birds next step might be or how to access what that step might is. Yeah. So it's always been an obsession with mine or with me too. It's like, I call it like, where's Waldo of waterfall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's just like a never ending <laughs> game. It's in there somewhere, you know? So that oh, led to a lot of like research and a lot of, a lot of cool, a lot of cool stuff that I know. I've got my secrets too. I love oh, my yeah. Secrets. Yeah, you <laughs> all waterfall hunters love like that. I got some, you know, I got a spot or, well, shit, I got a lot of those now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Have you tried to chase any of those spots around the country? Dude, you don't know how many times I failed. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they don't, they don't make it on social media. But man, I've gone on trips so many times, and the one thing about t- that, and that kind of led to another obsession: travel. Yeah. And traveling and like chasing specific bands and like specific geographic locations and the challenges that arise from that and the timing you are forced into like when somebody says like oh it's easy to hunt a goose at the banding location no it's not because the banding location is exists on a different habitat and time scale yeah
1: there's
2: there's statistically there's a you got a good a better chance of hunting right next to it yeah, yeah. but like, when you, they ban birds, it's when they molt, June. There's, like, 100 days that go by. A lot changes. The hunting can change. Uh, like, when you see these guys that have killed, like, 10 bands all in one flock on yeah. Facebook or something, rarely is that within, like, 50 miles of the actual location. They just got luck.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, people are, like, smashing on them on social media, like, well, it's easy when you hunt hunting where they ban them. Yeah, like, like the way up more. I look into it. Like, well, I don't think they did. I think they just horseshoe out the ass, fucking high five. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't love that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah.
0: Because um, no. I had a I had a buddy that shot like five out of one flock, and I mean, he wasn't by any banding station. They came from way up in Canada.
2: No, so, where in whereabouts?
0: Where was it? This is like four years ago, I think. Um, I'll have to
2: ask him where it was, but I forget where. it Somebody messaged me this this, this. last season. And they said they got five out of five out of like in one flock. Yeah, he got to keep three, and his buddy kept two. And he goes, "My, but mine weren't that interesting. They were locals, and some were banded in twenty, like some were this year, twenty twenty. Others were like three to four years older than that. Like out of the three he kept." and then the two other ones were from uh um um winnipeg Hmm. and i was like dude everybody's got a fucking winnipeg band like you've got a 2020 band which they canceled most banding so that's already a rare band plus you've got another bird same banding location could be its mom yeah like (laughs) that are coming to the same area year after year after year you've got data points on that like, you've got way cooler bands than this guy does. And he's like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just look into it. Sometimes there's, like, surprising shit in there. Yeah, when we were, uh, was it, yeah, no, it was
0: 2019. We were hunting down in Mankato. And uh, we were hunting, like, in this field, like, right right on the edge of town. And shot, like, five bands out of it. and. Mm-hmm four of them were all banned in 2019 in mankato and then one was Mm -hmm. banned in 2016 in mankato
2: okay that's kind of interesting it's just interesting to know i just know it yeah you know like hmm, yeah all right just a data point um and with with large candidate geese the phenomenon they've had like all across like the lower 48 is they get a lot of study results that have juveniles with higher survival rates than adults Mm. and trying to figure out why that is because if you look at snow geese, that's not the case. Yeah. And you really look at it like any populations of ducks they banned, that's not the case. It's only the case for large Canada geese where you see um uh mortality rates higher in adults than you do with juveniles. And so um I guess without the data, it's just kind of been how I've been modeling my hunting style. You know, as you learn stuff, you pursue that. Yeah. So um like living in one of the lower 48 states, I've always pursued adults, adult Canada geese. They have a higher mortality rate for a reason. Yeah. Um, juveniles, and that's going to be separated because of can't, a large Canada goose can't breed till it's two or three, so it's doing a molt migration, and that molt migration is what is um, exposing them to all that hunting pressure. Yeah. And I mean, a, a goose that just sits in a, you know, the Ford dealership has some babies, and then they putts around town 20 30 miles they stay safe yeah and um the real the real thrill for me uh like like with phil too back in the day figuring out how to hunt those molt migrants god damn that blew people's minds it blew our minds yeah nobody believed this for a decade (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) um
0: yeah we've been starting with that man shit yeah no molt migrators they are they're very cool to hunt very different I don't know.
2: Yeah, just, I was, that is so fascinating to me. Like figuring out, like the moat migrant thing. Like wh- how many days I've taken off work, and been like, yeah, oh, what's gonna happen? And then I'm just like, oh, fuck! I could have gone to God. Ah, this is a day from something else. I'm doing. I sacrifice. You know, like yeah. this is a trip I'm not taking right now. It's something i'm sacrificing to do fucking this to sit in a swamp in minneapolis in september and see nothing why and then there's also the migrant migrator days too Like last year my buddy matt d went out he's like Man, can you join me and i was like dude i want to because it kind of looks like it might go either way tomorrow like i don't know the weather's just it's right on that cusp where yeah. something might happen i was like but i gotta go to work dude and i really you know, if I hadn't been burned so many times from the cusp weather hunting, yeah, I probably would. And then he's just calling me like, "I've landed twenty-five groups of over five hundred birds." So I'm like, "I know you're exaggerating, but I'm still crying, man. Come on!" <laughs> like, and figuring out when, to, when to be, be more informed on that decision, how to be there. Like, it's gonna happen. It's gonna yeah. happen. Are you gonna be there for it? Yeah, that's you got it. You got to try. Just got to try, I guess. The biggest thing about molt migrators is there's a statistically, there's a five out of seven chance that a molt migration happens on a weekday. Mm. When you think about it.
0: Yeah. seems,
2: all right. <laughs> seems all right. Yeah. It seems about right. <laughs> so like, what are you going to do about those odds? You know, like you want to hunt molt migrators. All right. Well, Should probably try to increase those odds to start. So do you have any sort of flexibility? Can you hunt mornings? Can you hunt afternoons? Because it doesn't happen just in the mornings. It doesn't just happen in the afternoons. It happens when it should happen. And most of the time is actually at night, which sucks. So there's been a few years we've had like perfect goose migration weather for them. Like yeah, we just kind of had like terrible migrator hunt seasons, like one or two people like scratching out a decent mig hunt here and there but uh sucks and then there's always the people like that's is it too early and then you had days like uh labor day last year did you have a good labor day uh yeah we that monday so saturday or sunday
0: when it opened yeah we shot our seven man and then labor day we scratched open we scratched out like 10 i think
2: Yeah. But 10 on an X field or just hunting for mice on an X field. Oh, it was like a, it was like a dirt
0: X field and they like, just didn't come back to it. Sure.
2: That happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to be there for it? And are you going to be there when they stop going to It's another (laughs) big question. Yeah. Every, every field you've ever seen with 20,000 geese in it, there's another day where there's zero you could just be there. Just, you know, like they make their mind up someday. Um, but that was a huge event last year was Labor Day 2020. And uh, it, it, it was kind of boomer bust, too. And I took a lot of uh, notes on, like, who got flown over, who did the crushing. Yeah. And um, it's not about skills. It's not about your, it's not about having the biggest decoy spread. My biggest, best migrator hunt ever was over 32 decoys. Oh. Um, don't, you don't need the huge spreads. You, you need the call yeah and um you need to be in the area that the birds intentionally are going to make the rest stop you know like you can't just set up you know they're going from point a to point b at least the like most of them are adults they've there's at least some older like non-breeders in there that have done it 30 times. They know where they're going yeah. and they can, even if they didn't know where they're going, they know where they're going. Yeah. So are you in that habitat area? Cause there's no amount of decoys. There's no amount of callers you can put in a field. That's just going to like talk birds into coming down into the forest. You know, like yeah. as soon as they start looking for like, all right, we're here, like pick a spot, you know, like shit, I'm sick of flying. Yeah. Then, then it's game on.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at it like that for snow goose hunting, too. I mean, that's what we do is we just kind of pick an area where they're all going down and then just kind of hope for the best.
2: Try the to pick out, out their rest spot. Yeah.
0: Their feet Snowbees area. Are,
2: snow geese are super interesting in that when you see the first, like, the, the first wave come through, Yeah. The, commonly, the roost that they use are the same roost being used like nine weeks later by the tricklers you know like if you find a big roost somewhere it's kind of out of the way there's a chance there's a good chance you should go check that out like a few weeks after nobody's posted anything you know it's in eight you know it's april 10th yeah if you got nothing going on go take a peek at it like they have a weird way of of like of almost seeing the evidence of where they've been yeah I almost think those like those long chains of geese that go for miles and miles it's almost like uh they're connected through sound like just kind mm-hmm. of like they know what's up there because it's like a long game of telephone almost yeah, yeah in a weird way but that's and that, and that's a good strategy yeah. that you got for snows dude just ride it out man if you're in a good migration path yeah Chase fields man i'm 34 years old yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i
0: i saw you were getting some shit for like uh that X it like you were trying to sell or something. Why are people I giving you selling. shit for that?
2: Yeah. made <laughs> <laughs> hey, $2,800. I don't know if you yeah. did the math. Hell yeah. Um, uh, would, what happened why? there was I just posted that as a joke. Yeah. And then I talked myself into it being a pretty good business idea. Actually, I was like, yeah. hey, I'd pay for it. I'd do that. Like, yeah. Why would I drove around in the prairies for two days? Like, fuck. <laughs> Like, if somebody said, hey, for 60 bucks, I'd be like, oh, my God, yes. But yeah. Thank you for saving me $300 in gas. Yeah. And then I, then, uh, I just never followed up. I'm not, I was not going to go drive around the prairies <laughs> dropping pins <laughs> unless I was going to make thousands of dollars doing it, but... <laughs> can you imagine if that really i really would have sold 40 or 50 pins off and like the drama that would have started because i would have definitely sold the same pin to many people Oh yeah, and and like the the guide services and the shit they would have around it like blowing my fucking area up like oh you mean that hundred mile stretch snow geese go through sorry
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah that's
2: that's how she goes i guess <laughs> Dude, that snow goose guiding game is, is is something else. Man, did have you done spring spring seasons? Yeah, I was guiding? out in
0: I was out helping around um with Northern Skies. I was out with them for a few days. And then um They do a lot of pop. permanent spreads. Yeah. And then with get Geese. <laughs> um and then they do a pretty sweet permanent spread. They do like, they got this sweet water hole and yeah. like that runs into a cornfield. And they I think they averaged like, I think like 72 birds a day.
2: No I fucking think, way. I think they're that is a fantastic average. I've heard of mid sixties from guys where it was like, I think it was this, it was that. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, but those are X chasers in their prime too. Like, holy shit, dude. If you're getting yeah. a... Sixty. If you're getting a thirty-plus permanent spot, where do I fucking book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, do, you pits, do you have pits and coffee? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a no good spot.
0: I was out. I was out there for like uh, five days, I think. And I mean, the least we
2: shot was like forty-two. Throughout that's the day. awesome. Yeah. Just a just a migrator spot. Yeah. The thing yeah. about snow goose migrators too is they. Do it. Like oh, they yeah. do it All people are like, oh, the snow geese so so smart. Yeah, there's a million birds around you. You're up there chasing like the head of the spear, the tip of the spear. Like it's tough to pull them off of anything. You're not two hundred thousand geese. Yeah. I don't care that you have five vortexes and five thousand socks. Cool. You all combine spreads to look like shit. Yeah. Um it's going to be a struggle to poke out your 25, you know, yeah. on your field that had 50,000 in it the day before. But then you get those days that are just a little bit boring, but you make a hundred bird piles. because every flock that sees yeah. you that little glimmer of
1: light, Yeah.
2: And you can just stare them right in the face and just be like, they're coming right here. Mm-hmm. And just kind of start picking out. I'm going to kill this one, kill that one, kill this one. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, fucking A, man. Give me a 50 50- Give me a 40 bird snow goose migrator day over hundred X field day. Anytime I'll sign it up.
0: Yeah. Just the, the way
2: they decoy such sweet revenge.
0: Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is like, they aren't even chasing, uh, juvies. They're all adults. Like all the birds they would shoot were just all adults.
2: And I think there's a lot of birds that, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of geese uh, in the world and a lot of geese making individual choices. Yeah. And I think it's 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 gonna always be to some degree incorrect to categorize anything when it comes to waterfowl, but we yeah. are forced to. I mean, there was guys that were finding big pods of adultless juvies, like and smashing the fuck out of them. And oh, then yeah. a couple of years a couple of years of that, there's guys finding pods of juvies with no adults to be found. And these geese couldn't be touched. They were educated, like people were chasing them. They, you know, half of them were dead now. The other (laughs) half are juvies that are smart. Yeah. And so it's funny how the game changes and it's always, it's just this balloon of pressure that gets pushed on it. And that's where the where's Waldo gets fun. Yeah. When you knock on a door and somebody says, you want to hunt what? There's what out there? And you're like, I'm in the right place. They're like, you talk funny. (laughs) 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 if that ain't the truth uh but yeah it's out there too like oh people think it's not it is and it's public and there's people telling you about it there's people posting about it not on instagram but
1: yeah
0: (laughs) they got like the snow goose migration pages and all that kind of stuff people are posting stuff on
2: there's so much information out there for somebody willing to take 30 seconds to google it yeah and you know, that's, that goes for everything. I'm not going to find out how to fold my fitted sheets because I'm not going to Google it, you know, and there's yeah. just, you know, but I'm going to smash them into a drawer and there's people that are going to take that approach to their waterfall seasons too. Like I'm not going to sit here and research all day. Yeah, go to that same flooded cornfield in Southern <laughs> Illinois that we have had for the last decade and then bitch about people in the North run and ice eaters. Yeah. And that's what oh, it exactly. is. Yeah. No, the I drum. hear you. Yeah. And, like, the thing
0: that I've noticed with you, like, you're trying a bunch of different spots. And, like, I saw that one, like, white box that you built or whatever mm-hmm. and hunted out of
2: there. Like, just trying random shit like that. It's kind of cool. I think I'm going to hunt out. I don't know. It's kind of a, like a double dog dare me. But I might do the white box for, like, every hunt this year. Like, starting yeah. September 1. <laughs> yeah yeah (laughs) just to see how far because once you find out you gotta i want once i know i can get my foot in the door yeah well let's see how far i can take this there is a there is a point where it's like oh did i fuck myself on this yeah but uh (laughs) but but there's always like even on those days like but i could have tried this you know i don't know it's it's such a fun game to me if if you go out and smash a limit every single day on ducks and geese, then you must be a really boring waterfall hunter in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like, what do you do? It's like the, the kid that goes out to the neighbor's driveway and squishes ants for seven hours and goes home yeah. and becomes a school shooter. Like where's your, where's the fun in that? Where The fun comes from learning, you know, like yeah, I fucking got my ass kicked today. Why? All right. Yeah. Is this even worth pursuing? I think so. I've seen other people do it. Like, how do I get? How do I do it in this location? That's different, you know. Yeah. It's just always, it's always a learning process, and it just is so addicting for yeah. waterfall hunters, especially because we can we can hunt in an unlimited amount of settings and scenes and countries yeah. ever. World's book uh, is global for waterfall. Oh yeah. So just, I don't know. And you're just getting started in this, huh? Which I kind of wanted to go down the like guiding. More, more about guiding. I mean, yeah, I first looked at your podcast, but you got yeah. three years in, huh? Yeah, yeah, we've been doing it
0: three years. Uh, like we were talking about, just did smaller groups for the past like two years, kind of fun, fun Is little groups.
2: Percep- has your perception of value been changed since you started getting paid and assigned that value?
0: It's a good question.
2: Yeah, because I mean, it definitely it, changed for me. Yeah, oh. it definitely has
0: changed. Yeah
2: some of the happiest clients I've ever seen were dudes that didn't shoot and they wanted to book for next year. Yeah. And then some of the maddest clients I've ever seen with the most miserable guides hunting with them were guys that shot 90 ducks in a day. Yeah. And it's like, there's an obvious wide chasm of value being assigned by those two groups. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and you have yours and I have mine. Yeah. And you you have to you have to change what you think is valuable in order to be successful as a guide, I think. Because now nobody wants to hunt like you do every day. Yeah, you know? exactly. But everybody wants to have fun. So yeah. has have you found any of your perceptions of either success or value where you were like, man, those guys really enjoyed that where I thought it would suck, or it did suck, or yeah. these guys did enjoy it. And I work my ass off for this bang.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there's been like different stuff. I mean, I don't know. Like we had this one field that didn't turn out great. I think we only shot like, like 13 or something. And that, yeah, yeah, it was fine. But just like, wasn't what we wanted it or thought it was going to be for, uh, what you told the clients
2: it would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but, I mean, they were happier in hell because they're, like, used to shooting nothing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that, like, works for me. But I wish we could have limited out on uh, all of them. But, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a different vibe because it's, like, you feel, like, sometimes you can feel shitty that you didn't get yeah, like, everything. that
2: didn't turn out the way it should have. Yeah. But these guys' expectations were more than met. yeah. So am I working fucking way too hard for this yeah. <laughs> or, or do I have the wrong goals? You know, yeah. like where the boss told me to make this, but I'm making this with a whole bunch of other shit. It doesn't need. Yeah. You know, how do you fine tune that in, you know, it's and especially when you start to get repeat clients, you know, these guys like this Yeah, and all of a sudden you can almost just start like when that's why guys are repeaters. They get to know you. They yeah. like your style. They like the area of the country um you know if you ever you should reach out to larry robinson with the coastal wing outfitters and uh talk to him he's a really uh really wise guy on this and uh ben webster with big kansas outdoors Yep, i like both of those dudes a ton for their uh varying styles because larry he is like the mafia boss like sitting there like with a remote remote control like cigar it's this isn't exactly how it is he's like hey boss we got this problem he's like it's handled already and you're like all right we'll go hunting in the morning then he's like the clients are happy yeah and you're like, I, I guess they are and then you got guys like uh ben webster who's just hard charging like if you're scouting he's calling you he's calling you what are the birds doing now what are they doing now how much whites are there how many specks are in there are there ducks moving around yeah. All right. And then your phone rings again. Are there widgets? I forgot to ask you about yeah. the widgets <laughs> and they're both super successful guides. And, uh, and they just got such a different, uh, style. And I think they both deliver for their customers in a way that their customers have come to love really. And yeah. I don't know. And that's what I think I've, I've really gotten to a, a good, valuable experience, like working with so many different people around the country and, and seeing how they do things.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, and, being able to bring some of that stuff back to Minnesota,
0: I mean, different tactics on maybe something somebody's using down South that you would have never thought or like,
2: for sure. Like you'd be sitting there, like when I was doing that, uh, that substitute guiding, when I was going pretty hot and heavy on it, like I can remember, I'd be sitting there in a camp, like, Ooh, if only these guys had that Yeah. from, you know, if only we had the thing we had there, or if they even knew about it, like, do you think they've even thought of, having that maybe not and there's um it just gives you some insight but really honestly the the thing that holds true to every goose camp and duck camp i've been in that's been successful is just a cohesive vibe with the guys it's a good group of people to work with like everybody's got each other's backs there's people who know their role and they're fulfilling it like if it's a guy's day to clean the trucks, it's a guy's day to clean the trucks. And he's happy that he chipped in to be part of the group success yeah. that day by cleaning the trucks, not like, well, I thought I was going to get to God. You know, like, it's a, it's got to be a good working relationship. And yeah. there's a lot of really, really good guys in the industry that are just awesome to work with. And the ones that aren't fall out real fast.
0: Yeah. Oh, exactly. There's no question about it. I mean, yeah, because once, I mean, you get enough bad reviews,
2: you're gonna get, you're gonna get dumped. How right, once you get, once you start getting drunk and not going scouting. Yeah. Because I never get to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. There's there's definitely people like that, and it's a I don't know. It's a, it's a
2: fun wanna, environment. As do you want to? Uh, what kind of customer do you want? Do you want to do? And what I mean by that is day hunts packages Mm, i like to do like the
0: usually morning hunts that way i can go scout in the afternoon
1: Um,
0: okay but like packages like three-day hunts that's kind of the ideal scenario Um, do like a friday saturday sunday then go to school and scout during the week Um, that's kind of the vibe that we're picking up on
2: yeah and you'll get better you get different clients yeah. And there's nothing just there's nothing wrong with being a running gunner. It I just there's always a little bit of an animosity between like lodges and running gunners mm-hmm. because sometimes running gunners will come into your area and outbid you for fields. Yeah. And and now your cost of doing business goes up because of these guys that are just running by the seat of their pants around here yeah and then they go they get a job with their uncle the next year and guess what the leases are now up and th- yeah. we'll get another cycle of these guys again in two years and the same thing will happen yeah and uh that can be frustrating for uh like the lodges that are like hey dude i got a 30-year mortgage <laughs> in this motherfucker <laughs> thanks for coming in and ruining that
0: yeah yeah i mean oh. even even traveling around, like- I've heard a lot about like that happening on guys will come in, just throw cash around and then they're gone the next year. And then now everything
2: fucking costs 500 bucks a day to hunt or whatever. Now that you know that they're going to be there, they're going to be on the landscape. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Like you got to find a, find a way to work with them and and make the best for them and for you out of the situation. None of you wants to have shitty frustrating days hunting and your clients want it less. So it's, it's, uh, it's just a, it's a necessary, not evil. It's just another dude who likes to see locked wings. Yeah. That happens to be around you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm,
2: I'm with you on that.
0: And And I think like,
2: you see like Joe and Trevor, Yeah, they made a good mix because they got a good style. They had different pieces of equipment the other needed in certain times Yeah, and they lived, far enough away from each other, but close enough to where they could do hunts in the same area, but they also could scout a broader range. Yeah. So that, that can be a really beneficial situation to both of them. I think both gained from
0: a different guide. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Like having that piece of you living over here and then another spot over there. um, And then that area to scout that works out great because then you don't have to rip through all that gas. Time out. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Sorry, I just wanted to make Jagger it up. Oh, I heard that. American Dream isn't owning a house. I think it's smoking in your own house is really Yeah. That's really just the thing like nobody nobody can tell me what to do anymore. I'm smoking in here. Even if you don't smoke, just buy a cigar and smoke it in your house when you buy it. Like fuck you, fucking you future reseller value buyers. <laughs> what do you think in my house? Oh, exactly. That's I'm just put dream. it out on the carpet. You can fix that carpet. You're gonna live there a long time. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> just have What's a moment. Yeah, no, I'm with you I
0: love I love a good cigar, so when I uh, go pick up my first house, I'm just going to light her on up. Say that's how she rolls.
2: Maybe not all the time though. Actually, I'm kind of <laughs> I'm on a uh, I'm on a on a hall pass right here. My wife's been in Panama for 3 weeks and does not Ooh. come back for like another week, so oh, I've just enough. been like, oh, it's beautiful outside. Yeah, I'm still smoking in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> until she until like i probably should have quit yesterday but yeah we're gonna keep going today oh
0: exactly just rip the febreze in there and just call it good
2: like i'm a middle schooler (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing down there drugs
0: (laughs) oh yeah he's so right Uh, (laughs) i wanted to i wanted to hear more about the goose calling app you got going on
2: um, so that was born of that um that calling instructional thing because uh, um the calling instructional got big like big like I was having people especially like before season of course, but it was yeah. like okay the every person through my living room has watched bad grammar I don't know how many times. they don't know how many times they watched it and I'm not getting 60 dollars an hour anymore I'm getting double that because of tips. Like, oh, wow. I, like, I've got something here. Like I've got something and it needs to be more than just what I can do on an hourly basis.
1: Yeah.
2: And, um, uh, I asked Scott, I was like, Hey man, I got something and I don't blame him for being like, eh, I'm going to pass Yeah. It's a competition thing. You know, like yeah. I just am in his wheelhouse there, you know, yeah. so um then I talked to Joey and I talked to uh Vasalo with Midwest Flyways because yeah. at, at, at some point I was getting to like, hey, I'm gonna put this fucking content out and I don't even care about monetary value anymore because I'm gonna get there's other value in life than just money.
1: Yeah.
2: And then uh an app came around with a contract and I was like, all right, money it is. Yeah. <laughs> and um uh so I, I teamed up with some guys in Idaho to take this um this goose calling instructional. I didn't really come up with it. I, I gave it, I gave it a place to exist. I almost made like a community of forum, like where I was absorbing what the people, what the students taught me really. Yeah. Um, the, when somebody says something and you think it's dumb in a, in a calling instructional instructional, it'll hit you like the next day. Like, Oh my God, that guy was right. Yeah. And um, beginners always have the best questions and I was getting this content feedback from them and the whole thing was just built on like, this guy said something one day. And I'm just, and, uh, so then these guys from Idaho contacted me and said, Hey, we do uh elk calling app. We've got Barney Califf on a duck calling app. And I went, wa- I looked, I went through their elk nut, uh, elk nut is their, uh, like their flagship app calling app. And that dude, are you an elk, interested in big game at all? Yeah. I, uh,
0: I got an elk and mule deer tag. I got to go punch probably in the
2: next two years for out in Wyoming. Have you ever heard of Elknut, the app? Elknut, I'm going to look it up right now. Dude, you should, I think they charge 15 bucks for it. It's worth it, dude. I wish that dude was my uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, dude, I don't care about big game, but I wanted to know like how these guys were going to structure, you know, my, app which was still like basically just a lecture yeah it's not really a learning platform it's just me talking twice as fast as i am now about goose calls yeah and people like saying stuff in between and i'm like i don't know how i'm gonna make this that's where like this came about on my ceiling oh wow. i started i started to uh, like put a storyboard like of a script I need I need to, I need a script for this or they can't just be me freestyling it. And it's just turned out to be like essays and I preserved it and put it on the ceiling or whatever. But, um, elk nut kicks ass. It'll give you kind of a good overview of what the goose calling apple look like. Yeah. Paul, have you ever seen him in like the elk circles? I know nothing about this world.
0: Yeah. I'm not super huge into it. I mean, I've talked to a few guys about it, but what's his name?
2: don't even know paul uh oh. yeah dude i don't know anything about elk hunting oh, or elk paul Niedel,
0: or Medell that or that sounds great. Right. yeah
2: that dude is awesome at seminars awesome at teaching he did great with the platform that they gave him and yeah. i was like yep sign me up let's do it i want to mimic that and be half as good
0: yeah and is it going to be like uh um like a membership type deal where you pay a certain amount a month or is it just going to be, once you buy it, it's, it's,
2: there. Um, they definitely want to go to that membership um structure, obviously because that's there's always new stuff you can come up with. That's yeah. continuing revenue. And they wanted to, you know, they've got all sorts of ideas on how to do that and they're all good. Yeah. Um Ultimately what comes down what's best for their, the, their business I don't know what they'll do, but I, I trust that they'll make the right decisions on that end. I, I try to be like, Hey, you were hired to do the, um, the content and I'm doing the best damn job I can with the contents. Yeah. And, you know, I hope, I hope everything goes the way I want it to, but yeah. like, I would like this subscription model and I would like to have more in like update involvement, community, um, mm-hmm all that stuff with it if it's just a one-time buy it just is a thing it's a thing that's on a shelf it's not living and breathing there's no reason to click on it every day you know yeah yeah just something to have in your back pocket right and it's if there was like a community a discussion about stuff like yeah this goose calling it is really really awesome uh once i started to ask myself like what is the fundamentals of goose calling like what is it really and I started to blow myself away with how ignorant I was. Like I could mm. shred a goose call. Yeah. I'm like, what the? F- what am I doing? And then I'm like, wait, wait, what am I doing when I do that? What is that built on? You know. Yeah. And you start to find that there's a there's these huge gaps in explanation. And then if I could just fill in a little piece of those gaps, people don't need to practice. People can just, mm. oh, I get it. Thumb. Now I can do it. It's like everything in goose calling like exists on knowledge islands and all you got to do is like build the bridge on how to get from island to island and people fill it in for themselves that's why there's you can have so much success like when i we first started talking i was like the worst way to practice is on a facetime lesson with a stranger asking you Mm -hmm. to do something for the first time ever okay well why did people pay me for anything
1: yeah
2: because like getting good on a goose call isn't about practicing it's about like first of all knowing what to practice but it's the discussion's the discussions you have with people and peers like what do you think of this i think it's like that yeah i I encourage everybody like if you're trying to get better on a duck and goose call never ask for text, like text advice yeah like don't don't put it out on social media like hey what do you think here's my routine um don't you it's the answers are almost like I don't know if they're copy pasted or they're just built to be so shitty, but I'll tell you this much. When I write my answers down, they're just as bad. So like, I won't give anybody text advice and I'll say like, if anybody sends me routines, I'll say, okay, I'm free Wednesday. Uh, Like in the evening, you got 10 minutes to talk. Like, yeah, you'll, we can talk about it, but I won't text you because I'm going to give you the worst advice that you've ever got, which is the same as all the rest of that text advice. Yeah. So just, there's the discussion aspect is so critically important to the learning process. And it's I don't know, it's just fascinating to me, man. Yeah. Like, how is it that people have been trying to explain this two-tone honk on a tool they built since they were stamping the shit on vinyl? <laughs> and here I am in 2021, like still trying to do it. It's, it's so hard to explain deuce calling. Yeah. And uh like Tell me what's going on when a guy is in his noise section of a routine. I still can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. What's your
0: – what's the best question somebody's asked you about goose calling, would you say, when
2: you're teaching what's, a lesson? Am I blowing hot air or am I blowing cold air? Mm. And what's the background behind that? Joe asked me once. Joe was uh, – Joe Heinz. he was uh, – he said, hey, man, so uh, – and th- this was right when it was just, like, going off, like – boom fireworks the the lesson was growing by leaps and bounds every week yeah and um joe was like hey some guy he messaged me on tiktok i think uh what do i say back to him and so i told him what i thought and i told him you, you blow from your diaphragm you blow hot air
1: yeah
2: and that's the way a goose calls operated and then in my mind i remember that moment thinking like dude i can't believe how good joe is at goose calling and doesn't know how to answer that basic rudimentary question <clears throat> Yeah. That's crazy to me that somebody can get that good and not be able to answer that question until six months later, when I realized I answered that question wrong. <laughs> and, I the, and I was like, how can somebody be so fucking cocky <laughs> that they thought Joe didn't know the answer <laughs> when he was wrong the whole fucking time. And they told Joe to pass along bad advice. And I'm like, I will never tell Joe that. <laughs> that I but, um, and, and how many more times is that going to happen? Like, yeah. How many more realizations am I gonna to have to go through that ooh I did that wrong? That uh it it comes together in a more complete form.
0: Yeah.
2: It's forever. Oh exactly. You always gotta learn
0: something from everything. I mean and waterfall is the best place to learn. Like there's so much to always learn. So many
2: exceptions. Yeah. Talk about decoys for more than 30 seconds without contradicting yourself. I dare you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't. You can't. If you say something about decoys, you will contradict yourself in a future, like that season, or somebody will pull footage up of you doing it on a YouTube video and be like, Nick J, you said this. Yeah. You said burn your flags. <laughs> Look at <what> you flagging. <laughs> That's a good controversial one, too, that gets around. Yeah. I remember you saying burn your flags. Why'd you, why'd you think that? <laughs> Cause I like to say things that are kind of partially true, but make you think. Yeah. There's so many exceptions in waterfall hunting. You could definitely find an exception that a flag is good. And it's me talking myself into it being a good idea because just like selling snow goose, snow goose pin drops i was like yeah these things really do fucking scare geese (laughs) i'm gonna challenge myself to use this flag and prove to myself that it that it decoyed them or that it helped decoy them yeah and one thing that really changed my perspective on that was hunting over a lot of dsds Mm. and doing a dsd spread a lot of times there's a tactic involved that you don't use many other times and that's hunting where you're not next to your decoys yeah and which is going to force you into a that's that's good because there's nothing like predator like around the decoys but it's bad because you can't call and if you do call like geese are so good at pinpointing directions uh like i've done solo hunts like full gillied perfectly camoed and had a flock of 30 flare out when i was trying to band check because i did one clock yeah and um and so you just can't goose call and watching birds work a spread. Like, okay, I could have done anything there. Like when those geese just were flying like away for mm-hmm. 200 yards and I'm not making a sound, I'm just sitting here in a ghillie suit. And then they just go boom and turn around, come back to the spread. I could have talked myself into that being anything. If I would have done a comeback call, yeah. if I would have done a pleading moan if I would have hit a flag, Like that's weird. You know, like, And geese do that to each other all the time. And not only that, but geese fly over other geese and don't land with them. What was wrong with that spread?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, like last year we had, well, like in November was so warm. And like, you just see birds, they jump off 15 minutes before end of light. And then they just, one group would land there. A bunch would fly over. They'd go land in a different field bunch of fly over them, go land in a different field. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like Mm -hmm.
2: they can't decide. Or they have a lot of options. Yeah, that too. I think that's what you get a lot of times, especially during periods of warmth when people will definitely consider the hunting to be more stale. Yeah. Which it's not. It's just different. It's not concentrated anymore. When the weather is warm, the birds disperse, and they become more active. So hmm. you, if you, if you can capitalize on it, think about when are birds the least active, like the least active you'll ever see a goose when it basically does nothing for a 24 hour period. It's when it's the coldest. Yeah. And then think about like, when is goose the most active? When it's the warmest. Okay. There's a direct correlation. Yeah. They're more active when it's warm. And th- yeah, there's also a correlation to daylight. There's yeah. more daylight when it's warm. So there's more activity hours, but you can, you can use that information to your advantage. Okay. These birds are going to be seeking out several different types of terrain today. We're going to have sun that, which means they're going to seek this type of terrain. We're going to have clouds, which means they won't. We're going to have birds leaving the roost this morning and they won't want to feed. Where should we set up to catch them there? And then later this afternoon, they will want to feed. Is there anything we could do to advantage ourselves in that situation? Yeah. So I think a goose hunter should always try to run traffic but you're just not going to traffic a bird to a place that doesn't want to be in the sense of like feed or water or loaf based on activity type. Right. Yeah. So, um, what do you think about that? That last season? It was, it did get bad. It got bad. Yeah. yeah. It right before it looked like it was going to get good too.
0: Yeah. And the thing was like, I was learning a new area cause I moved down to Mankato. So that didn't help either. Okay. And then, I mean fuck dude it was 75 degrees the first weekend of November. Like when was, we were when we were deer hunting for opener it was 75 degrees. And then just stayed warm. There was no snow until December 25th or December 26th or whatever that was. So it was just like what I noticed was they I mean fuck I scouted like every day fucking 2 weeks in a row in like the last week 2 weeks in November and it was just
2: like, I don't even know why I'm scouting anymore. Like I know what they're fucking gonna do. That's uh, such a that's a very good thought because I've had that thought a million times. What the fuck am I even doing this for? <laughs> I'm just gonna pick a random spot <laughs> in the map, I could kill one goose there. Yeah. Or could I? You know, like yeah. I could definitely do it without scouting. I know I could do that. Oh, exactly. So then it yeah, like time your crazy shit too. I like to time my crazy shit when I'm going out and doing these hunts in prairies. or or doing something that's off the chain wild it's because anybody who's doing something by the book standard has just as high a success rate as i do fucking none (laughs) like the odds are stacked against you so thick do you want to go get kicked in the nuts do you want to spend 50 dollars get i'll take the kick in the nuts i want to go get kicked in the nuts yeah but i'd rather spend 10 bucks than 50 yeah right so exactly and learn something while i'm getting my testes kicked in a little bit so yeah. see a new area try a new tactic you know if you okay i could go scout find the x field seven of them will come out before the end of legal shooting time the yep. rest of them will come out while i'm picking my spread yep. picking my spread out to go home like what's the fucking point yeah. you're right you're exactly right what is the point go learn something go yeah. go prove yourself wrong on something go prove an area doesn't have birds i don't know
0: yeah no and that's like what i had to do it mean, i just had to switch just fucking don't look there they're not i already know what they're gonna do over here why the hell would i keep going back go try a new area fucking drive another hour whatever it is like i gotta figure Wait out for the something. weather change yeah
2: it's it can get kind of hopeless out there too and those are bad days for guiding like it it, it does there's stretches where it's just not good yeah did i, did I lose you there yeah you
0: lost me there you're
2: back on it. I, yeah it said i had low battery Um yeah, and strategizing. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do during that period of uh suck to try to get yourself through it in high spirits, kill some birds? It's tough, man. Those sunny days in the cold too can be just as bad, even with snow on the ground, man. If it's gonna be a high of 10 and a sunny all day for the next seven days of extended forecast, you're like shit yeah what yeah. do we do
1: you're, yeah you just you're,
2: you're literally dealing with an animal that's half hibernating
1: yeah
2: oh 100 <laughs> and people 100%. are like why aren't we setting up in the morning because they're hibernating <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah kind of halfway there We're like half dead actually just sleeping on the ice just blinking yeah. and eating six grains of corn every day but they chisel oh. out yeah, that's like fucking all they have to
0: do. I mean, they they jump off the ice and go eat whatever they six
2: grains of corn and then they jump back and they sit all day. And then here's here's what all the scientists tell you too. When it gets all really cold, that's when they have the highest energy demands. They'll need to fight feed on the highest hyperhydrate foods. They'll need to be out there in the fields feeding. Yeah. Not by every duck and goose I've ever seen in my life's evidence. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's not what they do. <laughs> they, blink. they, they sit on the ice. They blink nine or 10 times throughout the day. And then they go chisel out what from 10 minutes after sunset until like twilight, like, and, and twilight gets extended that late in the year because it, the, the light fades slower yeah. with a more gradual sun decline. So They'll get sometimes maybe like an hour after sunset, and they still can go back to the roost and, and be okay. So you're talking about a window of like forty minutes out there. Yeah. They're not going to just field uh, regular cut fields. They're going to chisel plow. Yeah. And there's less corn in chisel plow than regular fields. Why do they do that?
1: Yeah, I don't know.
2: That yeah. that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question why do they go to a field that has less food and chisel it out of there in the dark? Um, And uh, I think some of that has to do with a a big part of that has to do with um, predator identification (laughs) and they're, they're safe when they go, they know they're safe uh, going into cloud fields. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it's a gamble. Like I'm hungry. We could try this spot, boom, 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 it happened again. Yeah. Cloud fields. There's a level of confidence. You can't replicate with decoys. Yeah. Um, you ever scouted a plowed field that's had like five thousand geese going to it, and you're seeing them like a mile high, just boom, yeah. elevated in? You got yeah. permission the next morning. You ever seen geese do that? Yeah. <laughs> I like it's it's very rare. Um, you you always seem to get like a couple groups at sunsets, a couple yeah. hesitant ones, and then the then the scraping starts. Like, mm-hmm. why are they? And everybody talks about it. is it the hide? Is it the decoys? The answer is yes. And there's just, there's no way that we found to combat that yet out of, as to get uh, successful odds out of that are acceptable to me. Well, I I haven't hunted a cloud field for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still go out in them and try try them out? I still rip them and we'll throw like an A-frame
0: and that'll work on occasion. But I've, like, I've kind of got the thought of, like, maybe giving those, you know, those tall socks? Giving those a run. What, what what was that? The tall socks. Like, have you seen those dive-bomb tall socks where they, like, are super high and then you just lay under them? Mm-hmm. I've always thought about, I wonder how that would work. For biggies, yeah, me because, too. Because like, the thing is, I've talked to... So I talked to Forrest Carpenter on mm-hmm. here, and we discussed like the use of socks and silhouettes in like different scenarios. And like you usually run socks because you're dealing with lessers and they're a lot more active and they're jumping around the fields. And then like when you're looking at big geese, they're kind of just more relaxed, they're feeding around. But
2: yeah. All situationally dependent yeah. with all their exceptions, right? Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: And so like he was talking about that I'm like, well that's usually why a lot of people will just tend to run silhouettes instead of socks is because you know the geese might not be jumping around as much or some Whatever that is they just I've seen more
2: lessers more
0: active than big geese. And then I'm like, well,
2: <laughs> yeah exactly. No, but I've seen those day, like those loaf days where they just kind of like yeah, they, they graze more. Like a lesser Canada will, will definitely, they live in the central flyway where there's not as much soccer fields and they don't source their grass out of soccer fields. So they do this kind of like all day graze activity.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and uh I know what you mean with the lessers being more active that way. Yeah. Um. What do you think about, and I'm going to say, you're going down a path that's that I've found a lot of challenge with. That's why I haven't gone out in those fields in a decade, man. Like, okay. Tell me why, that hide wouldn't be successful or tell me why would i i can do a grass hide on ice and we'll smash them yeah we've done in cloud fields when we uh when we had to hunt them which was the goosebuster days running with clients is different you really want to be on the field the geese are on no matter what yeah so you can tell the guys look at the goose poop we're standing in we did everything we could yeah that's why we failed like that's not the reason you failed today, but you, you gotta, it's almost like you gotta have that written in like, well, cause if you fail on the grass field, you could have ran an awesome traffic spread on and you didn't succeed. Like, okay. You could have hunted there where the geese went. Like, yeah, we got that field too. Yeah. Where the fuck are we on this grass? <laughs> because we would have been holding our dicks and kicking goose poop over there. Like, Oh, I guess it didn't work out. You yeah. can't tell the science that. So like when we hit out there, What we would do is we would take uh, the military netting that's green on one side, brown on the other. Mm -hmm. We would take the green side and spray paint it black. And then from there we would add texturing to the blinds and we made these blinds, uh, we made like eight blinds just for plowed fields. So we would texture them uh, with the military netting, usually with the black side facing up. So the brown would kind of be peeling out from there. And then. No matter how cold it was or how frozen the ground was, we'd always chisel a little divot just to push the divots back in around the shoulders of the blinds. Yeah. So now you're looking at something that we've chiseled in. It's got the military netting on it. It's been color matched and spray painted, all the fuck. Okay, yeah. it's still not very close. You got to get the moisture. So we'd bring spray bottles and we've moistened the blinds to what the moisture was in the ground. So it would match the, the, the color and the depth. Yeah. And now you got to add this foliage, so we go under the underneath the uh, military netting, and now you've got a complete construction site you've created. You've got all this trample marks. You've got like digging out a blind, like leaves evidence of digging out a blind. Yeah. So we so we go and we drive around, and we had a truck bed full of boulders, and we go and we would f- conceal the fact that we did work there, like tried to blend it back into the field, and then it wouldn't work. So like, <laughs> I mean, and, and it would work, which is the damnedest thing because you could, you just can't, for me, I can't see where we ever got like above that threshold of worth it. Like yeah. we're onto something. We, we really got them one day and then we just got our dicks kicked in doing the same thing three times in a row. Why is it the hide? Yes. Is it the, not the hide? Of course it's not the hide. We can do that shit on ice yeah okay is it the decoys yeah they can't see the decoys out there but after they circle five times they saw the fucking decoys
1: mm-hmm.
2: so they saw the decoys it's not the decoys it's not the hide it is the decoys it is the hide Fuck. it's 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 something i can't put my finger on but you cannot put your odds in your favor the odds in your favor on a foul field in my you can get them you can get them good at 30 percent yeah, it just, that can't keep me coming back though. No, like I
0: very rarely hunt plowed fields just because of that reason. I mean, it's so
2: hard. Like, it's so tempting though, right? It's so tempting. <laughs> it's so tempting. And like, I haven't you been out just, there in years, and I'll still be like, ooh. I could make that i'm so good i could make that work no yeah. no no nick you're gonna fucking fail <laughs> I gotta talk myself out of it i'll get an invite and i'll send you the snapchats like dude come hunt this field with us and i'm like no my religion tells me no it's a sin and i'm like tell me tell me about how it goes and without fail like dude i don't know what it was they just yeah they wanted somewhere else this morning like, of course they did yeah no. glad i didn't get out. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to do that and teach yourself another lesson oh, yeah. but that's part of the fun oh exactly so long we've been talking by the way I feel like it's been about eight minutes oh ready geez. to have a beer yeah it's been
0: only an hour we are we're crushing it
2: all right how long do you normally go because I got another hour
0: yeah I usually go I usually go for like two hours that's kind of my uh when they stop listening is what I've kind of noticed is that two hour mark
2: all right well yeah it's there's a lot of
0: layers in that onion. Oh, you can start yeah. It back. Yeah. No, dude. Okay. Yeah. But
2: like I don't know. And
0: then you were and then you start talking about I saw that you uh mentioned the grass fields with yeah. big geese and mm-hmm. like how they're I don't know. Just start using that a lot. Um I remember you posted something about it on your Snapchat. I forget like what the Yeah,
2: I was. Also, being a little bit of an antagonist, saying some partially true things, yeah, because I, what I was trying to infer was that, um we have good goose habitat in Minnesota and North Dakota and South Dakota, and the central Flyway doesn't <laughs> <laughs> because we have soccer fields and they don't. yeah, and that's totally hundred percent true for geese that are born and raised and live in the Mississippi Flyway. yeah, they need to have all ge- all geese, no matter what, eat grass. okay. Yeah. How, uh, goose lineages go back about two million years. How long have they been going into agricultural cornfields and eating corn? One, Forty to some of those specs. Some of the specs just came out of the tidal marshes like thirty years ago. Oh. Like this is a lineage of two million years. This is not natural for a goose to eat in an agricultural field that's been rope planted. Yeah. Like so, when people are like it's weird, you hunt out in grass fields. Like no, it's weird you hunt in agriculture. it's just kind of the accepted form at this point like so geese there's as the agriculture has become so prevalent there's just been colonies of geese that have taken more to it and taken less to it like some geese don't like the agriculture as much and some geese like get a vast majority of their dietary nutritional requirements from the agriculture just different uh different life strategies from different colonies that you see, but in the Mississippi flyway in particular, um, the, strategy, the life strategy they have is to be kind of close to like this woodland to prairie transitional mm-hmm. zone that you have that's running kind of up into Winnipeg. And then it runs down to all the way to Rochester where you go east and you're gonna hit forest until the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. West is the prairies and they skirt that boundary line. And then on that boundary line, you have Interstate 94, Highway 10, you got Fargo, you know, you got civilization. And, and yeah. we're making urban goose terrariums for them. You know, we got ponds in the suburbia. We got soccer fields and baseball fields. We're basically just giving them what they want on their, their designated path. And um, the, the thing I left out of that Snapchat was that the Central Flyway is like four times as many geese as the Mississippi Flyway.
1: Yeah,
2: Big geese, too, resident breeders. Um, so it's not... The, we have the best goose food we have the best goose food for our geese and just knowing that oh there's a difference because i posted band data from iowa right yeah and the, there's very few that birds banded in iowa that get shot in the dakotas why isn't the dakotas like filled with good goose food you would think like they're that close why not just go up into watertown south dakota or like yeah. you know jamestown they jamestown, don't yeah. they don't do that dude they go maybe they'll cut that last little northeast corner but they'll go up to hudson bay and back down to iowa like on a highway yeah and and uh the banding data reflects that like well i've always been told that the you know the flyways are shifting west um the dakotas has the good habitat like no this band data doesn't tell me that yeah and um okay then you pull up um, uh central flyway band data like birds banded in nebraska in the summer they go up to north dakota south dakota saskatchewan and then they they run that channel like and very few of them are getting passed to get shot into iowa or getting shot into minnesota you're like fucking weird it's almost like these guys when they came up with the flyways were kind of onto something yeah yeah <laughs> um but it's it's just uh the more information you have on birds and bird nerding like it helps you strategize on on how to get at them
1: yeah, no kidding.
2: Um, I guess we're, what was the line you were thinking on going down that? What onion layer oh. do you have to start talking and I go and I go? Yeah, but I wanted to think,
0: like, from the goose hunting that you've done, have you seen any changes in the flyaway in Minnesota? Like, have you started seeing more birds here,
2: less birds in areas, or, like? More, more and less. Okay. Because yeah. there's Perceived... Perceived flyway changes by a person can be a, 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 a lot of different factors. There's a study that came out in like 2017 or 2018. It's about those Chicago neck collars mm. and, the, and the GPS transmitters they're putting on those Chicago birds back to like 2015. And they said more geese are coming to the city for safety than are staying out in the like rural areas than previously had been doing before. They were noticing a shift in goose behavior. Yeah. They also said though they're showing up before hunting season starts. Right. So, all right, if they've done this for three years since this study started, and you're talking about adult geese reacting to a problem they don't know exists. They don't yeah. know hunter. How do they know that hunting pressure is a thing if they show up in the city before hunting season? Like that tells me that they're not in the city to seek safety. They don't have anything they're running from. They're yeah. there for. They're there for a, a, a nutritional or a habitat requirement that they're seeking. And they found it there at that time. Um, so, okay, that's a that's a that's one perceived way of looking at it. Another way is, okay, what if they're right? More geese are going into the cities, less geese out in the urban areas or uh, rural areas. Mm. Okay, let's break that nut apart. Are you sure that geese aren't just getting killed more? in the rural areas and having good hatches in the city areas. So now all of a sudden there's more birds going to the city this year because there's more birds that are born from that colony that goes to the city. And these fuckers just got their ass shot off last year. And then they went up and just had a failed nesting season. Mm -hmm. So, okay. It looks like a lot more birds are going to the city this year. Okay. Well, that's another, that there's one scenario. I just said that could be, okay, well, what's skewing that.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and then, and then you got, then the whole emotional pain that comes with, living in an area that goes through the fluctuation of the peak and the subsiding of the peak. If you are coming of age in waterfowl hunting and your geographic location is seeing a rise to a peak that's followed by hunters, that's followed by a declination of the hunting quality that is extremely painful and it sucks. And people will, there's a lot of very strong opinions from people that have had that happen to them and it's it's a defining thing like the hunting used to be this now all these hunters showed up and it's that now there's these guide services and there's this okay we're talking about something that's it's a fluid motion you know it's always changing so you just happen to be there on the rise and experience the best it could be yeah and now you're still there on the decline and it sucks yeah so there's there's all these perceptions of why we think that flyways might be changing and is, are they true? Probably partially. Um, and, I, and probably for reasons we'll never think of. Yeah. Where's Waldo, man? Oh, exactly. It's just this fascinating game of, uh, it just, I, I don't know. I, I could literally sit here and think about it all day long. And I have for 30 years Somehow, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, they're closing down the plants down in Fergus. How do you think that'll affect them? It's going to affect them.
2: It'll yeah. definitely affect them um <clears throat> but oh, look, at of, look at lack of parl like uh, about what was it 10 years ago they shut down rochester
1: yeah
2: and uh lack of Par was also still having when was it i went out there in like 20 2011 they were still having like countable numbers but you go back to like 2003 2004 we're talking about hundreds of thousands of these yeah. in lack of Par at one time not just like as the season went through. Um, so then Kev, like the Rochester plant shutting down and then the emptying of lack of kind of happening. That shit makes me think too, what happened at lack of Parle? How come there's no geese there? So like you have geese 300,000 in 2002, like 1200 in 2020. Yeah. So there was no plant that got shut down there. There was no dramatic ecological event that happened. Hmm. So, what what the fuck's up with that? At the same time, you had Rochester closing down and more EPP geese showing up there. So, like, why the fuck would they all of a sudden just delineate from lack of parole? Yeah. Will it change Fergus? Yes. Yeah, it will. Negatively? Probably. Probably. Um, Fergus Falls had something that I don't know if I can ever find, if I can find records of goose hunting being that good anywhere at any time in North America. the shit I was seeing those dudes post and the shit they were doing day after day after day. Like, I don't know if you have to go back to the Chesapeake Bay over 2000 pounds of corn before you see success like that, but yeah, you can't, I it's hard to find it like, and to say, is that going to be affected in Fergus? Yeah, it's gone. It's going to change a lot. There's going to be pits there for a long, long time that have consistent success, but it won't be what it was. Yeah those birds are going to have to now disperse because I think what you had in, up in Fergus is that power plant and then a lot of corporate land around it with very limited hunting rights and some people that could put in pits. So you mm-hmm. get a lot of, very few freelancers, very a lot of permanent spreads and in a, a big attraction. You got all that food, all that water that's staying open. So a big part of that's now going to be gone. You're going to keep gonna keep a lot of those pits on the landscape i don't think geese i don't know if the hunting pressure will will change the birds much there they're kind of they know what to expect i guess yeah. but i don't know i don't know what do you think yeah i mean i just think that
0: since it's shutting down I mean, you'll sell the same birds go up there, but I mean, just with not being as warm or like the water, not being as warm and not staying open as long might just shut their season down a little bit earlier.
2: And I haven't, I haven't hunted out there since 2011 or 12 in Fergus, actually. But I mean, people have been saying, they have this roost. They have that river. Okay. It's still going to change. Yeah. Like the, the dynamics are still going to change. And, uh, one interesting thing I, I've asked myself or like a, just a thought exercise question is if Fergus Falls got this super weird corn disease uh, this summer coming up, like never before seen COVID corn or some shit and just centered around the grain elevator in downtown Fergus Falls mm-hmm. and corn for 50 miles in all direction was now dead. Would you have geese showing up out of Manitoba and out of the Hudson Bay looking around going, holy fuck, there's no food here this year? That's weird. Which geese never show up? Hmm. I think geese would never show up. I don't yeah. think that they're gonna. I don't think geese land on a landscape and are and are uh, surprised by the landscape. I think when somehow, like, you're talking about a goose that's going 700 miles over the course of the next 20 hours. It's it. It's just not surprised when it gets where it's going. It's like here I am. All right, go. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So even even on like a one-year timeline or even on a, you know, they were there in March. They're migrating back through in the spring up north. They're stopping in Fergus. So let's say that corn disease scenario plays out. Are they coming back this fall? My bet's on no, but I, there's no way to test it if I'd be right or wrong. Probably wrong. What do you think? No,
0: I think, I think you'd be right because I don't think they would come back to there because they, they have to know where they want to feed, and there has to be something that makes them – go to certain fields. Like they must be able to tell or exactly something uh, that that's the question is how, do, how do they know which fields to go into and eat? Cause I mean, they can't the
2: when they've never seen them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you can't like fly over a field and just be like, Oh, look at all the corn pellets. I mean, maybe or, they can,
2: or whatever it is. Um, or I've, uh, I found that fields like, Whoa, that's weird. The geese are going this way. Um, then there's, like, five roosts pouring out here. Then you find out, like, oh, the DNR is out there waiting for guys to tell them, oh, it's a baited field this year. They had uh, some hail damage. Yeah, I'm like, Jesus, look at this. It's like a fucking beehive. Yeah. like I've literally never seen it scouted in this area. This is crazy. And um, here's another weird story. That's just goose amazing shit, or duck amazing shit. But, buddy, uh, I live in Fridley, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. Yeah. My friend and his parents live, uh, my friend's parents live just a couple miles away in the same kind of area. And a couple years ago, the acorn trees fruit, not every year they fruit, like, uh, like when they have the energy reserves to do so. So it's kind of yeah. staggered and weird. So one year your streets just covered in acorns and then it's not for a few years.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So my buddy's dad was like shoveling off the acorns off his driveway. It was late summer. And then he did his, like, old uh, retired neighbors, too, and he put it all in a bucket. And these uh, these houses back in, like, the View area, they got these little, really long, skinny backyards. So he took all the acorns, and they usually have, like, a little patch of woods or a shed back there. He poured, poured it out. And then the next, this is, like, dusk evening time, 8, 9 p.m. The next day, he went to let his dog out. The dog's just, like, clawing at the door to take a piss in the morning, which is not unusual, I guess. But the dog just went boom, like straight back through that long narrow, and went straight to the back of that lot, and he said, "There, like I shit you not, there was five hundred fucking wood ducks that exploded off of that acorn pile that I created from sweeping the driveways." Yeah. I'm like okay, so that happened in a span of seven hours, like so from last night. So the dog went out there to pee. Five hundred wood ducks found that acorn pile in the middle of the suburb in the middle of the suburbs in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the night? Yeah. And the answer is yes.
0: And, I mean, you you post <laughs> on your story, too, like you put, you'll put you put out that corn pile and they'll be there in fucking two
2: minutes. Yeah, and there's just a certain amount of math that you can't get away from on that. Like, they have to be within so close. I don't see that many ducks, like, before I put the corn out. Like, yeah, it's, it's just fucking mind-boggling, man. I don't get it. I like, month, yeah, it's just, <laughs> the first time I saw that happen, like we're, what you're talking about is like, I'd pour out corn and then ducks would be there before I could throw the corn bag away. Yeah. Like we're talking about like a couple minutes or less. Um, so the first time I noticed that, and I'm not putting this out in the middle of the night or anything. Let's pre- like preface that, the, the story with that. Yeah. It's, you know, at a time when you would expect to see ducks feeding, but still, like (laughs) like there is going to be ducks flying around they are going to be looking for food now but 40 fucking seconds passed (laughs) like i can't get away from that map okay how fast does a duck fly 60 60 miles an hour okay so that gives me a radius of in 40 seconds they can only be there i didn't see that many ducks in a radius of that of a you know 600 yards from my house to where they mathematically had to have gotten been at least that close not only that close but they recognized that there was a food source there that wasn't prior seen another bird probably go to that food source planned their route to it and executed it yeah it's fucking freaky
1: yeah
2: and and then like it happened and i was like whoa that's crazy look at this phenomenon that just happened in my front yard and then i started like this is not a phenomenon this is just what happens, dude. Like I would start like testing it. Like I'd be like, all right, pour the corn out, pour the corn out. If nothing, nothing. I'm like, well, I'm going to put it in my trash now. And I'd like run as fast as I could and just like, see like, Oh bad, 29 seconds. There'd be 10 ducks there. Like, How Yeah. How the fuck, did you do it? How the yeah. fuck did you, do you, know, do you know what my garage door sounds like? <laughs> and this isn't happening because I feed them every day either. Cause I'm lazy. So yeah. there'll be, like, periods of weeks at a time. Hell, there's been whole, like, practically half winters where I didn't feed them. So it's not, like, an, a, a reliably daily of abundant food source that they go to to check up. Yeah. It's just not. And they're there. And it's, it's, like, mind exploding is a good way to put it. But yeah. here's what I think, too. We're talking about, like, wood geese show up in Fergus Falls. Those wood ducks finding uh, that pile of acorns in the night how many are 500 wood ducks a big of a circle you got to draw it before we get fucking 500 now wood ducks in late summer big yeah. one. yeah a big one and uh okay my little example of how they materialize where the corn is um we can see that on a human scale we can drive to the baited field and no the game worms they're like ah, this, yeah they hail damage we can see that but i think they do it on a global scale like, that, what we're seeing, like, what they can do locally is not a problem for them to do over 800 miles. And, like, there's a baited field, though. That's weird they went that way. Well, when a mallard jumps and goes 600 miles, it's kind of doing the same thing. Maybe not exactly the same thing. Like, ooh, I smell peanuts. Yeah. But it's a, it's a similar thing. It's not landing in the Mojave Desert going, ah, I fucked up. I did this last year. Shit. Yeah. Right? Right? So I don't know. What do you think?
0: It it can't be like. I mean, there's a part of it that can't be they just go there every year because they go there every year. There has to be like a reason that they're going to these certain food sources. I agree. And a certain. So
2: how do they tell? The biggest question is how do they tell which food sources and like. And the question you just touched on is how historic are historical migration, historical migrations? How how historic are they? Yeah. Because, (laughs) I mean, if the food wasn't there next year, would they come back? That's not a very, that's the question we're really dealing with. And well, if it's a historical migration checkpoint, that just shatters that, just shatters it on its face. It's historic because it's good every year. That's what makes it historic. Not that it's good for a hundred years and it's in their bloodlines yeah like it's just good this year that's why it's good again um i don't know man it's, man. it's so confusing and mysterious yeah um, and there's certain facts you can't get away from but they can't let you draw any conclusions to the possible reasons and there's not an organ we can take out of a duck and be like here look at this i just found this fucking corn seeking organ in the mallard how about that <laughs> I've got some sense and it's right here in this organ right in its, behind its liver we just never yeah. looked before or maybe it is, it could be too
0: yeah, I'm surprised that you've never uh, never been like a, or never thought about being a wildlife biologist or something, dig into the goose and duck populations
2: I like doing it on a hobby, you know yeah. I could be a guide yeah <laughs> As, <laughs> But like, I don't know about like the mundane, I really had trouble with school, man. I, really, yeah. I, could, I could get your B pluses and, and say, fuck you all at the same time. But I, I didn't want to be there and struggled to, uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to go to school anymore. After I graduated, I tried and I didn't try. I signed up for classes and got a $12,000 bill though. Oh yeah. I never went to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Yeah, no, I, I'm not a, uh, not the brightest in school either. Just how it goes.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if I would have been, if I really would have, been this interested in it. Honestly, if I would have went to school for it, yeah, it's like, oh, I got to learn about redheads. Fuck that. Who gives a shit? What? Shh, goddamn, grenade. Like. Shh canadian marsh they breed in yeah. and why ducks hatch on the same day instead of the like sequentially after their hatch uh, like if it just doesn't interest me i just shit on it and i can't sit there through it you know yeah so i don't know if i would have even been this interested if i wouldn't have gotten felonies you know that really made me think about my life yeah. and made me want to start doing calling classes for kids and you know it all is kind of a, a purpose yeah yeah you know, so. Oh, I hear You, know, you. guess just gotta trust the waterfall gods.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: And how? <laughs> you... I thought you what's were. Your, what's your to... take on the? What's your take on the guide industry down there? there? there isn't many guides that run around. Terry Middlestead is one.
0: Yeah, Terry Middlestead, and he actually came out when I was out with the Get Geese guys for snow goose hunting.
2: Corey and... Ganser? You're not talking Corey Ganser. No, no, no. Terra said. No, you said Get Geese. Yeah, yeah, with. Uh, Isn't that Cancer's operation? Riley Ham and oh, Alex Show Chosen. Me Your snows. Yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. There is a GetGeese.com, I think, that's ran by a very well known Minnesota criminal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and I ran one for
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry came out and paid for a guided hunt out there and then tried to figure out what they were doing and then set up like five miles away and then it's uh,
2: cutthroat and you gotta expect yeah. that too
0: yeah oh oh yeah exactly that was a piece that i looked into i'm like huh fair enough but i don't think he shot anything um
2: guides do that all the time somebody's yeah. at like uh offering new mexico snow or uh sandhill crane hunts Send my uncles and my cousins and my kids over there, and they're going to book a hunt and they're going to learn the areas and they're going to tell me what the business prospects look like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. And the Middlestats have been in that area a while, haven't they? Guided. Yeah. Terry's knowledgeable for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Terry's him. been out there for a while.
2: Yeah. I was actually um, researching goose calls in the uh, patent library recently and i found a goose call patent from like 1953 that was a middlestet from minnesota i was like where huh. is this like fucking terry middlestet's dad's patent on a goose call i'm looking at right now yeah so those dudes have been at it you know like look at the hams too doesn't that grandpa have a cool ass book out i think yeah i think
0: something around those lines but yeah no, the hams they they've been going on it a while
2: i love listening to those guys talk about birds Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't substitute just sitting there and looking at skies every day for as many days as they have. Because it doesn't matter if you're a good hunter or shitty hunter. It's your first day hunting. You're capable of making correct observations. Yeah. Almost everybody's observations are always correct. The geese fed at 1130 this morning. It was cloudy. Doesn't matter if it's your first day of the field or if you've been guiding 30 years. That's the same observation from anybody who saw it. So you get somebody who's has generations of that stacked on each other. Like there's some fucking knowledge that gets just deposited into that library from the time you're like four years old in a blind, like they're like, I went hunting with those guys. I'm like, you know, the, the, uh, Robins don't come around at the same time anymore. They're 10 days earlier. I'm like the fuck do you know shit like this? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he
0: was talking about stuff on South Dakota. And I'm like, the hell are you talking about like i would have never looked at it that way or like whatever it is and he's just like yeah i mean when you're hunting illinois snows that are just hard as hell to kill mm-hmm. you just kind of have to pick up on what they like and then when you come over here it just kind of gets a little bit easier but at the same
2: time it's not and put in the work to learn the birds too and those guys definitely did uh yeah the, the hand. um right when they, that operation first kind of started getting on social media, let's say, um, cause Rick's a, a like a shit talker. He likes to oh, stir yeah. the pot and, and, uh, he's got crackpot theories as much as probably we could go toe to toe for quite a while. Let's say yeah. that. I mean, um, but one time like right when I became aware that these guys do what they do in Illinois and set these huge spreads and they are who they are and they know what they're talking about. I went to this lodge I just happened to be going through the area of Webster, South Dakota from when like it's Paul Johnson's place, Northwest of town. And we used to stay there in like 2003 to 2007 era when we, well, when I was a teenager and go out there every fall. And so I just happened to like, kind of be going through snow goose hunting and I called old Paul Johnson back up and I went, I spent the night there at the lodge, uh, just like kind of old time sake. And I was looking at the brag board and who did I see on there? Rick. And very young Riley, like, from the 08 era, like, chasing those snogies all the way up to South Dakota with the fucking huge trailers and everything. Yeah. Like, they are hardcore as hard as they get. People don't realize that before social media, man. There's, fucking, there's some hardcore dudes out there that you don't know about. Oh, yeah. They're very resentful. They're very resentful. <laughs> yeah. And those
0: hardcore dudes, like, they, they just keep it on the DL, too, a lot. Like, yeah. Ooh. I mean, for some aspect of, like, they just, they don't
2: post on social media or whatever it is. Yeah, and 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 you should. You should should always do that. Um, It's not that somebody's gonna steal your shit or outbid you for a farmer, but they know about it. And information is everything. Information's everything. If you know I did something, that means you could do it. And, I mean, like, you know you could do it because you saw me do it. So, like, there's there's a lot of shit I have out there that's not been on social media, and I never really, I I was you know it's it's a give and a take. Like I've shot neck collars off public land. I'm not gonna post about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I never have. I never have posted about that. Um, but if even if somebody knew the geographic location that that was in, I, I, I'd feel threatened about that. But it's still we're talking about something that's fluctuating and moving, so there's can be a certain amount of "fuck you" showing off what I do, yeah. Because it's not five years from now. Try it, like, and even like the technology stuff I deal with, like if you're if you're talking about something on on how you're finding birds, that's old news, really. It should be old news. Um, but there's still some gems out there too that are worth protecting, and you should find some that aren't really that you know, like and that doesn't have to be a location or a hunt or anything just be knowledge knowledge of how you how these people in this region act and how i approach it and and find success because as soon as they know you do it um it's i call it like the uh the theory of the wilting flower Mm. like it, it there's we're always searching for Waldo as waterfall hunters. There's always that untouched lands, like where where the migration has shifted, and nobody knows it. But you, you found it. Here you are. This guy doesn't even know why you're asking for permission. Yeah. Like you, you eat those things. <laughs> and you're like, yes. Yeah. Like the moment you, the moment you pull the trigger in there, that flower's wilting. You have created oh, you, you. Even if it would have anyways, you never find a blooming flower. You only find wilting ones. So that's the only thing that you can find out on the landscape. And uh, so we're always just looking for our next batch of flowers to go smell. And uh, some of them last longer than others, though, dude. Some of them are worth preserving. And some of them you can be blatant about and people don't believe you. Like, molt migrator hunting. God damn. Here's the best opportunity you could ever imagine for novice hunters, people without land, people without anything going for them, to go kill geese and killed a lot of geese yeah and they don't believe us like um they'll see a big pile this is like on the forum days like can you believe no geese were out in this field yesterday they're like what do you mean it's not next field like there's never been geese on this field like and it's it would it took years and years and years for people to start believing us that we could do it and we wanted to show them it because like hey this is like Go get it, 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 would, yeah. it would be highly beneficial for everybody to do that and stop, yeah. hunting, you know what I mean? Like, stop chasing the X fields, it's more, <laughs>
0: it's more hunting opportunity,
2: exactly. And it's and I, an opportunity that doesn't harm other opportunities,
0: yeah. And I talked to when I had Lee Chosan. um, we talked about that a bunch is just the hunting opportunity and how we need to allow more and more of it, um, as a community. And they are, yeah,
2: they yeah, if you look if you look at public lands and what you can hunt on, I don't care if it's on a 30-year time scale, People say it's less than ever. It's more than ever. It's more than ever by millions and millions of acres. Yeah, I mean every year it, there's Department of Defense land opening up, National Wildlife Refuges opening up. They are, we are hemorrhaging um, hunter numbers. And in North America, we've got uh, a conservation funding structure and framework that's built around a couple different pillars. One of those pillars is an excise tax on sporting goods, shotguns, ammunition, bows, yeah, and all that shit. So we get all this, these, these coolest studies, these GPS transmitters, they get paid for by that. Also another big chunk comes from licensings. So when the, when you're talking about waterfall numbers that have decreased by half over the last 30 years, you're talking about departments in the government that don't have a a way to fund the research they want to do and they don't have a way to get that money to do it anymore things are getting more expensive they're getting less money they have to ask the politicians to get taxes like hey this money's not there anymore if you want this you have to pay for it so what are you going to tax where are we going to increase our school taxes Are we going to increase our you know our property tax because the money's got to come from somewhere Mm-hmm. so there it's like it's a it's an emergency situation going on at like all the conservation departments around the country like we need fucking money and and if you you can't have losses of hunter numbers like this and have a dnr anymore like that's not going to be a thing so oh, yeah. uh there, there's old land opening up there's opportunities opening up uh google alerts is a really good <laughs> it's a great way to keep my, your ear to the grindstone on that like Every day I get a, a Google alert with all the shit I set in there and it's just kind of laid out like a uh, like my newspaper. Yeah. Hey, are, here's all the shit you're interested in. The price of corn and wheat and wetland abundance of goosebanding Those Russian hackers are clever as fuck in that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, have you found any, um, without divulging, like, uh, I guess, too much of whatever, have you found any tactics that have been helpful to you to find birds where you thought maybe the crowd wasn't using it yet they will if it worked then you're losing it gradually
0: yeah i mean the biggest thing for me on finding birds is just like learning an area well enough and like the time of year that they're going to be there because i feel like a lot of people that i run into they scout the same area the entire year and they don't move north, west, southeast whatever it is and the birds are there yeah let's say the birds are there all of september but then once october november hits they're gone they're they either go somewhere else because there's open water somewhere or whatever it is i feel or, like that's yeah, just been anything. the biggest thing
2: have you found any resources like uh something that opened your like topographical maps because we use topographical maps quite a bit hmm. like down south because yeah. where it's very arid around Oklahoma and Texas, like okay, let's find the water. Let's find the water. Where if it rains somewhere, where'd it drain? That that's yeah. been very helpful for us. Um, trying to think the shit like around Minnesota, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've used that to find like flooded fields if it's a really wet year.
2: What have you like, used for that?
0: the just like top graphical maps or whatever on like how oh just
2: instinct like hey, a yeah, yeah. spot here okay. it's a
0: low spot let me go check it out like see if that's something or like google earth that i mean you look back and you see there's a flooded spot on google earth and you're like huh well maybe maybe check right check check the year on that okay it was a wet year okay let me go check it again cuz it's wet again so
2: right no no that's honestly like so much more homework than like 95 you've already cut 95 percent of the people out they lost it yeah they're not interested in looking on google earth that long i probably have google more screen time in google earth than any other app um (laughs) between that and all the different hunting like gps maps like yeah I, i spend my time most on on those but um just knowing that and like oh it rained over there i'm gonna go look jesus that's just even just to think of that, or to realize you should be thinking about that, can benefit people in so many ways. I guess I I, get, I was barking up a tree like uh, satellite data um, hmm. to, to map um, trends, wetland trends over a long period of time. And have you found anything for that at all? Because it's that's that's some fucking nerd uh, GIS map for professional shit.
1: Yeah, I haven't I have, looked into that. Yeah. yeah.
2: I've heard some things, though, like some people did this for a project where they looked at Argo satellite um, Argo satellite um, imagery from this area from 1984 until present and were able to delineate how much wetland coverage was on the landscape in this area by um, mapping each pixel that registered as this color as wetland and you can map it like very accurately over a time scale and like Mm. that is some shit like i've been getting into like satellite transmitters for uh for waterfall quite a bit but now i'm starting to get into satellite in the earth (laughs) yeah so it's kind of like a new frontier we do yeah. give a shit about where one bird goes, man. I know where they all go. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs>
0: well, I saw you posted or said something about that. Uh, I don't know if it was a lake or something. And you're like, why do you think the birds are going into this lake? Like, is it the aquatic life or whatever that is?
2: Yeah. Cause I'm really ignorant about that stuff. I'm not a fisherman. I've never been interested in fishing. And uh, I know that like wetlands have a very, uh, diverse um their own environment like entire biological variants that are just wild yeah like i did that shit in elementary school take a slide put a little drip on it look under a microscope and you can see all the little bugs in it cool i don't know what any of that means to a duck or a goose i know it's there but i know that sometimes at some points in my life i've seen geographical areas fill the fuck up with waterfowl like you've never seen in that area before and they aren't going to cornfields like if you see a pond with geese on it and all you see is white like i've seen it where it's like holy shit those all seagulls no they're asses in the air like from feeding geese and i've seen geese go from roost to a pond (laughs) like over cornfield 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 slough and then they hit the slough and it's like asses in the air just yeah is that about and how the hell could you get into the business of predicting when that's going to pop off and what it is that's a little overwhelming for me to <laughs> but it, it's real
0: oh yeah there's no question about it i mean i've witnessed it too i mean i'll follow birds off the roost and they just go back into a different pond
2: mm-hmm. Oh, they like, didn't see yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly there and you know. uh, They just don't eat those birds. They just, they can live on nothing. They eat their farts.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I've always, why are they eating in that pond instead of in the cornfield or something or whatever it is.
2: Yeah. Or, you know, I think one of the most beneficial things anybody can create for themselves, is just a network of people you text Yeah. like hunters in your area, hunters even kind of outside your area. Um, (laughs) Just to know shit happens like on a geo, like a, a large scale. Like there's this one time I, uh, it was late in the season. It was late season for sure. Like maybe not the last week, but within the last couple of weeks in December. And I got permission on a real hot X field out of this, out of the cities, real close to the cities and, uh, looked at the weather, weather was going to be cold and clear. This is going to be gay. Let's, let's. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's, what else are we going to do? We're going to put out our decoys and we're going to sit there and hope they come out in the last 10 minutes. And they did. And they kept going south. Like I there wasn't a single goose that came to feed that day. Um, every single goose got off that roost and they went until I couldn't see them anymore. And we stayed there picking up decoys till the sun went down. I didn't see a single goose interested in coming to the field. There's thousands there the day before I talked to Joe, hey, dude, what did your birds do tonight? He's like, they got up and they fucking migrated
1: yeah
2: oh same with me 50 miles away (laughs) let me start extending this like hey did this happen to you fucking right it did yeah and like and uh oh shit this weather does that i think that like just to have a we're talking about observational experiences like this weather birds do that is just ah, the most valuable knowledge you could really get fuck gps transmitter data Hey, if it's yeah. cloudy, this is what they're gonna do because they're geese. Yeah. But
1: yeah, I
2: mean I
0: it's, don't
2: know. it's interesting, man. Like no, man. It's, there's books written about it, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's consumed my life really in a really positive way. I think uh I feel like ducks and geese really gave me an interesting life to live. Yeah. And the oh, and absolutely. led me, they like led me to good people to associate myself with, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like I almost owe it to ducks and geese that I've fucking talked to you, had a cool conversation that I talked all over you for two hours. Sorry about that. <laughs> Crush uh, uh Yeah. Just like, I don't know what it is, but man, I live in the cities, not a lot of trust around here, but yeah, if I'm, if I met somebody and we started talking about, oh, I hunt here and I hunt there. And like, Oh, you know, this person, I know that person. I'm like, all right, here's the keys to my trailer. I'll be there at 2 PM tomorrow you can set up all my dave smiths like all right yeah. i trust that guy have i even friended him on facebook like no but i don't know that's like how tight-knit the waterfall community is and uh i don't know oh, yeah it's,
3: been,
2: it's being 34 now and looking back at it it's been so like it's like what if i didn't have ducks and geese like what yeah. the? and then i start to think about all type even just a hobby like how rare it is for people to find a hobby and how rare it is for people to even find a passion in their hobby. It's like, if you are obsessed with ducks and geese and locked wings, you're a lucky motherfucker. You've got a yeah. cool hobby that'll take you all around the world and introduce you to the best, most trustworthy people. You should join ducks unlimited. Probably. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. Well, you should, I'm with you, you on Get that.
2: back. Yeah. I don't know. Cause That's yeah, the amount of
0: people that I've met through just ducks and geese has just been incredible. I like think all some of my best friends are just, I met through duck hunting, goose hunting, different areas. Like, now they're fucking my best friends.
2: Like, <laughs> I've done a lot of like, hey, I'm going out to this place. Who wants to join? And taking like trips with random people that ended yeah. up being really fantastic friends of mine. Yeah, like, uh, and then some who didn't. <laughs> the guy kept touching his wiener the whole time. It was, it was really off-putting. No more tricks in that dude.
0: <laughs> but yeah, dude, I, I hear you on that. We're wrapping up on time here, but uh, nah,
2: yeah, I actually am too. Um, I like to do these scatter-shot, like, "Hey, what do you think about ducks and geese?" Like, fucking buckle up," type of uh, talks, because I yeah. I, I like to hear myself talk, but we should probably do, if you want to do one in the future, just let me know. I'll do the same damn thing and just rattle off data or whatever, or we could get down into some nitty gritty band hunting shit Yeah. or some nitty gritty taking travels and flying up, trying to fly places to kill a specific bird type shit. Yeah. Yeah. dude. Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's definitely do it again. Cause that'd be, that'd be a fun little, uh, fun talk.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like it all, man sorry for walking all over you, but
0: (laughs) I appreciate it. Dude, we, uh, we covered a lot and you gave a lot of really good information for people to think about.
2: Yes. It's probably not good information, but it makes you think towards that goal. Yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. I appreciate it. And thanks once again. Anytime. I'll see you later.